Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 613 for the 7th of October, 2018. This week, computers often seem to become slower as they age, the hardware doesn't really slow down, and some of the problems can be resolved by eliminating unnecessary applications that are running. But some new hardware can also help. In short circuits, no matter how many monitors you've attached to the computer, placement is important because a bad arrangement can leave you stiff and sore. Mozilla is offering a free monitoring service that can alert you if a website you use has been compromised. A new law in California attempts to save net neutrality for residents of the state, but the U.S. Department of Justice has filed suit to stop it. In spare parts, only on the website. Google plans to make some changes over the next year to reduce the amount of malware distributed through the Play Store. Nearly all of our medical information is computerized now. That's convenient, but it's also another rich resource for crooks. JLab Audio has announced new Bluetooth earbuds with a claim that they will run for more than 12 hours on a single charge, but there is a catch. Does your computer seem slow these days? Several relatively easy tasks can accelerate an older computer that seems to have slowed down. Now, hardware doesn't degrade over time in a way that makes it slower. Components do age, and sometimes they fail, but that isn't what causes a computer to seem slower than when it was new. As we add, update, and remove applications from a computer, we often notice that it seems slower. Starting with Windows 8, Microsoft offered a reset option that reinstalls Windows in the background. That can help speed up your computer. Two options exist, one that keeps data files and one that restores the machine to its initial state. In other words, you'll lose all your data, so you'll have to have a backup. Both will remove some applications, and the one that restores the machine to its out-of-the-box state will delete all applications you've installed along with the data. That may seem scary, but sometimes it's the only way, short of buying a new computer, to speed up the system's operation. Before starting, you should use the Windows 10 Health Report to find out if there are any hardware issues such as limited storage capacity or device driver problems or battery limitations. If there are, resolve those problems first. Also, check the Windows 10 update history to find out if there have been any problems installing updates. Whether you plan to keep your data files or not, be sure to have a complete and verified backup before starting. There are simply too many opportunities for catastrophic failure to depend on good luck. In other words, even if you decide you're going to keep your data files, they might go away anyway. Fresh Start will remove all applications that don't come standard with Windows, and that includes Microsoft Office. Third-party antivirus software will be removed, too, 
along with any desktop apps that were installed on the computer by the manufacturer. However, Microsoft Store apps that were installed by the manufacturer will be retained. Any applications removed by this process will need to be reinstalled, so make sure you have access to CDs, other installation media, downloaded files, and activation keys for any applications you'd want to reinstall. If you use applications that have a deactivation option, be sure to use that before proceeding, and you can reactivate them once you've reinstalled them. Microsoft warns that you might lose digital licenses, digital content associated with apps, or other digital entitlements for apps. And this may impact your ability to use apps or app-related content that you paid for. Reviewing every installed application before proceeding can eliminate a lot of later frustration. Yeah, like I said, that's pretty scary. So if that's too unnerving, there are less intrusive options. In fact, they're usually the best first steps because they may restore enough of the computer's original speed that those more aggressive measures aren't needed. Use the Task Manager's Startup tab to see how many applications start with Windows. Every application that starts with Windows adds a certain amount of time to the boot process and consumes system resources. Applications can be disabled in the Task Manager, but proceed with caution and research any apps you don't recognize before disabling them, because removing an essential application can cause some pretty serious problems. Many antivirus makers offer free online scans, so you can double-check your computer's installed protective applications by using one of the free scans. You'll find them from Norton, McAfee, F-Secure, Kaspersky, and a lot of other well-known publishers. Be sure that you're on a legitimate site before running the scanner. Crooks have created bogus sites that attempt to plant malware on the computer. To improve speed at the expense of digital visual effects, open in the control panel, type Advanced System in the search window, then click View Advanced Windows Settings, and click Settings in the Performance section. Selecting Adjust for Best Performance will degrade the system's appearance but it'll be substantially faster. Or you can choose Custom and then turn off the visual features that you don't care about. Memory and the computer's hard drive are two components that are relatively easy to upgrade, even with a notebook computer. Nearly all computers sold have 64-bit hardware now, so I'll assume that that's what you have. Computers that still have 32-bit operating systems can use only 4 gigabytes of RAM, so don't bother putting more in if you have a 32-bit system. However, 64-bit systems can use much more. Companies such as Crucial offer downloadable applications that can identify the computer they're running on, determine how much memory is installed, and offer recommendations for upgrading RAM. If your computer has 4 gigabytes of RAM, increasing it to 8 gigabytes will usually improve performance. Users that work with large photographs, video files, or other memory-intensive data might gain additional performance with even more RAM. Most computers also are still sold with mechanical hard drives. These are the kinds with one or more rotating platters inside. Solid-state drive performance far exceeds that of mechanical drives. They also use considerably less power, so the computer will run longer on battery power and run cooler. The installation process is a little more complicated than installing more RAM. You'll need a data transfer cable and an application that clones the old drive to the new one. 
Companies that sell solid-state drives usually offer instructions that cover preparation, disk cloning, and installation. After completing the disk upgrade process, you'll still have the old drive. You might wonder what you can do with it. Well, if the drive is fully functional, buying an external USB case can make it a good device for creating off-site backups. Store the drive at your office or in a safe deposit box or at a friend's house. Bring it home once a week, back up the disk in the computer, and then return it to the storage location. Many of the cases that hold 2.5-inch disk drives used in notebook computers are inexpensive and may not even require tools when installing the drive. If you decide to replace a computer's hard drive and you want the easiest possible way to move the operating system and all the data from the old drive to the new drive, take a look at PC Mover. That's an application that I used when I replaced my wife's computer and I described the process back in November of 2017. There's a link to that program on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Oh, and by the way, if you have a Mac, adding and removing software there doesn't have the impact that it has on Windows-based computers. That's because Macs have no registry. Adding RAM and upgrading the built-in hard drive to a solid-state drive are the best ways to accelerate an older, slower Mac. Opening a Mac's case is a little more challenging than opening most PC cases, though, because Apple uses tiny, tiny mounting hardware. If you choose to upgrade a MacBook, be sure to review the instructions for the correct model. The process isn't really any more difficult than what a Windows computer user will experience, but a few specialized tools might be required. In short circuits, let's call this, here's looking at you. Those who spend a lot of time working with a computer should make an effort to set up the workspace for comfort. Ergonomics is about more than just the chair, and monitor position is one of the more important considerations. Even if you get everything else right, a badly positioned monitor can result in neck and back pain. Maybe you've already set the chair height properly so your feet are flat on the floor, a lot of people consider an articulated keyboard to be essential to keep wrists straight. I'm one of those, by the way. But what about the monitor? Some monitors allow minimal vertical adjustment, but the monitors I'm using can only be tilted. They can't be rotated. They can't be raised. As a result, I was spending way too much time looking down at the monitors. In a chair, my eyes are about 49 inches above the floor. The top of the monitor was about 47 inches above the floor. That put the middle of the screen down at about 40 inches. The middle of the screen is where most people position what they're working on. I bought two monitor stands that can raise the height 3, 4, or 5 inches. Initially, I used the 3-inch extension and decided that wasn't sufficient. Eventually, I settled on the 5-inch setting. According to the Healthy Computing website, there are several options to consider when placing the monitor. There's a link to the Healthy Computing website on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. For most tasks, you'll want to have the primary monitor directly in front of you. But Healthy Computing notes that there are some exceptions. Those who spend most of their time interacting with people and need to refer to the computer screen less often can place the monitor on one side to allow better sight lines to people 
Determining the vertical height is a little more complicated. Healthy computing starts with a recommendation that the top of the monitor should be two or three inches above your eye level. If your screen is too low, the article says, you'll find yourself tilting your head forward to view the monitor, a common cause of neck pain. If it's too high, you may have to tilt your head back, leading to neck and shoulder pain, and increasing the likelihood of glare from overhead lights, a common cause of headaches. The primary exception to this height rule is for those who wear bifocals or trifocals. In that case, you'll need to position the monitor for best viewing through the appropriate lens. Ophthalmologists will explain that computer glasses should focus at about an arm's length. That's about 20 inches for most people. For large monitors, that distance can be a little bit longer. Healthy computing suggests tilting the monitor slightly upward. I've tried that in the past, and I really don't like the effect, primarily because dual monitors align properly only when they're both fully vertical. If you choose to tilt the monitor, be careful to avoid tipping it so far that lighting glare becomes a problem. The monitor should be placed so that windows aren't directly in front of or directly behind it. Fortunately, the window in my work area is at the side. Healthy Computing says that the monitor's brightness should fit the viewing environment. Because I work with a lot of photographic images, I use a color management system that evaluates the room's ambient light and adjusts the monitors accordingly. The color manager also maintains color and gamma settings. And a couple of other quick tips from the article. If you work on the computer for long periods, take a 20-second break every 20 minutes and look at least 20 feet away. The 20-20-20 rule. That gives your eyes a break. Also, be sure to keep the screen clean. I found the end dust for electronics wipes to be useful. They're handy for removing dirt, dust, and fingerprints from smartphones, tablets, keyboards, and other devices that we touch a lot. If you'd like to read the full Healthy Computing article, there's a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Firefox and Thunderbird developer Mozilla has a new offering. The service, called Monitor, promises to let you know if your account information has been compromised in a data breach or exposed to hackers in some other way. The service is free, and you can check your email address on the Monitor website. The site immediately shows any breaches that might have included your email address. You can then sign up for alerts about future incidents. The monitor service uses what are called anonymized range query API endpoints from HIBP.com. Even so, you might be worried about typing your email address into a search function. After all, isn't that one of the ways that crooks get your credentials? Well, that's where the range query hash comes into play. In essence, it's a way to pass information privately so nobody along the way sees your address. Mozilla says that Monitor is one of many privacy initiatives that they'll be announcing before the end of the year. If you'd like more information about how to use Firefox Monitor, check out the Firefox Frontier blog. There's a link there from the TechBiter Worldwide website.
California wants to save net neutrality, but the federal government is opposing it. Hours after California Governor Jerry Brown signed a bill into law to protect California Internet users from blocking or throttling content by service providers, the federal government sued. Several states are trying to maintain net neutrality after the FCC killed the protections. Internet service providers can now block content they don't like or slow data from certain services. AT&T, for example, gives DirecTV a lift by exempting it from the company's data limits. That does not apply to data from other providers, those not owned by AT&T. Washington state had passed a similar but weaker law previously. New York's legislature is working on a bill similar to California's. Hawaii, Montana, and Oregon also have laws on the books or executive orders that attempt to maintain net neutrality. In effect, the Federal Communications Commission, which, by the way, is a regulatory agency, has refused to regulate Internet service providers and is now attempting to prohibit states from regulating them themselves. If California wins in court, the FCC might have to revisit the issue and actually do some regulating. The U.S. Senate passed a bill earlier this year. That bill would restore net neutrality rules, but the House refuses to consider it. The potential for a patchwork of laws across the 50 states seems to have attracted the attention of some of the broadband providers, and some of them are now asking Congress to take action. Also, it's not too late if you want to provide some feedback to the Federal Communications Commission. You'll have to do that by mail now. You'll find a link to information about how to do that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And while you're there, check out Spare Parts. That's the only place you'll find it. This week, Google plans to make some changes over the next year to reduce the amount of malware distributed through the Play Store. Nearly all of our medical information is computerized now. That's convenient, of course, but it's also another rich resource for crooks. And JLab Audio has announced new Bluetooth earbuds with a claim they'll run for more than 12 hours on a single charge. But there is a catch. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like... Send me an email from there. See you next week.